Now, this is kind of a cool rendering of this particular passage. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was at Ophrah. Kind of a little colloquial statement being made there. Everybody in that town had to know where that particular terebinth tree was. And uh, the scripture is telling us that's exactly where the angel of the Lord came and sat down one day. Isn't that amazing? And which belonged to Joash, the Abirazite, which was the, which, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon was, uh, like many in the day, frightened over the invaders and was trying to gather something to eat and had to do it kind of on the sneak so he wouldn't be seen and be stolen from him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> yeah. Well, Father, thank you for illuminating the truth to us. Thank you for your blessed word. We appreciate the revelation that you give us by the Holy Spirit. And now may our hearts be open to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Although we live in perilous times, we have a God who has promised to see us through. Because we are his people. Amen? So look at verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. So Israel is in a very difficult spot, and I'll show you how. Remember, you're here by divine order, not accident. And this word is prepared for those who have a heart to say to God, We need you back in our lives. We need you back in the church. We need you back in our culture. It's an anointed word because it says in in, in Judges 6 and 1, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Okay, so you're getting some insight. Here's a people that are struggling. Here's a people that have now started to disobey, now are in disbelief. And because of their departure from the one true God, serving other gods, God's allowing chastisement and discipline, things to start happening that were not really positive and very good for anybody, except it brought people to an awareness like Gideon. We need God once again to rule and reign in our hearts. This is an interesting statement. It's, it's repeated over and over. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Baal. And then it says, the Lord sold them into the hands of their enemies. Okay, he, God did this. You see it in chapters 2, 4, and 10. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them up to Moab. This time, 18 years of hardship is imposed on them. Then in chapter 4, again, the children of Israel, that's a long time, by the way, folks. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord sold them to the Canaanites. What's God doing here? He's allowing adversaries to come and awaken them, teach them some lessons. Then the children of Israel would cry to the Lord. They would cry to the Lord, and he would send them a deliverer. That's what the book of Judges is all about. And as long as there was a man or a woman of God seeking his face, God in his mercy would grant them a deliverance. But as soon as that leader was off the scene, they would go right back to their worship of Baal. And there would come years of terror. Over and over, non-ending cycle, a sad commentary on the history of God's people. Well, Calvary, God's people are prone to failure. And if we don't return to his altar and his altar alone to be altered, we will have failure. Israel cheated on God with other idols in their hearts. 
They were slowly moving God off the throne and moving other things they wanted to go after in their hearts. And they refused to trust him and didn't believe that he was faithful, that God would be faithful to them because, see, they weren't faithful to him. So they believed that about him. And once again in chapter 6, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he delivered them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Israel was brought very low during this seven-year period. The Midians and other Arab nations would combine together once a year, and they showed up at harvest time in Israel. And they would turn their caravans and their herds loose into the wheat fields and corn fields ready to harvest in Israel. And they would completely, like locusts, devour everything in their path and leave Israel stripped of any harvest whatsoever. Kind of like what the enemy is trying to do to students today and the young adults in the church of Jesus. They get, we get them through the process of church, and then all too many times we find a high percentage of them go off to our secular institutions of higher learning and get their faith totally destroyed and demolished. It's like locusts have just come in and stripped everything barren. Then they brought their armies with them, and they drive the Israelites up into the caves and into the mountains. You'll find it in chapter 6. And they became impoverished. They lost everything, including their dwelling places, and lived in caves. Then the children of Israel would cry unto the Lord. But in this case, it was not a cry of repentance. The word says they cried because they were being oppressed. And they were uncomfortable. And they didn't like what was happening to them. And God sends them a prophet in spite of their motive. And the prophet puts his finger on the reason that they're being harassed and terrorized. And here's what he says. God says, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you up. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and I gave you their land. And I also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. You see, when we stop obeying the Lord, fear begins to creep in because our conscience begins to remind us we're not on center with God. And fear comes in, doubt comes in, the relationship gets dismantled. God had told them, you don't need to fear anybody. I'm with you. But they, they had to obey the Lord. There's a prerequisite here. And they disobeyed him. And they allowed all these fears then to start invading their hearts and minds. Because every time they trusted him, he delivered them. But then they would return to their disobedience. And God would allow them to be turned over into the hands of the enemy to drive them back to him. See, when we come to the altar, one of the things that God will deal with us about is what's happening in our hearts. It's always a heart matter when our heart is turned toward the Lord. That's why I want to encourage you during the Daniel fast... Read the prayers and book of Daniel. Read his communications with God. Read about his total commitment. A 15-year-old boy raised by godly parents who now is in a heathen culture under the rule of the most powerful king on the planet, and he will not bend an iota because what God had built into him through his parents was unshakable. Read this man's life and, and read how God would bless him and keep him. And let that be an encouragement because he said, I set my face toward the Lord. I was focused totally and completely on God. When we come to the altar, 
That's one of the things we're supposed to do, set our face totally on the Lord. Now, some things are going to happen when we come to the altar and present ourselves as living sacrifices. And one of them is he's going to correct us at the altar. One of the first things he does is correct us because he loves us. And once we take correction and allow it in our lives, then he says, and I'll bless you. I'll be God to you. I'll take care of everything in your life for you. And and here's the flip side of the coin. Allow me to tell you what you need to hear. Make the adjustment. Watch what I'm going to do for you. This great evil was befalling Israel. It was the spirit of Baal now that they've allowed in their nation and in their hearts. And there's also the term Balaam used in this book. And that's the plural word for Baal, Baal. It's the coverall term that covers all the false gods that they have allowed into the nation. And they serve these idols and the spirits that were behind them. And today, those same spirits still exist. They haven't gone away. They haven't been destroyed. They're still around. And we call them by religious names. New Ageism, Sikhism, Islam, Buddhism, all summed up in one word, Balaam. This is a spirit, and it's a spirit right out of the pit of hell. It came out of Satan. It spewed right out of his being. His one intent, one in purpose, is to cause people, including God's people, to mistrust and disobey their heavenly Father. It's an attack of the enemy, attempting to get you off track, away from the one true God, off on another track, and there's only one who can satisfy you, and that's the one true God. But they're trying to help you find all kinds of other gods to keep you from the one true God. And this is what happens in my text. It says, the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and saying, we have sinned against you. They finally come to this place. And I want to jump over to that in just a minute. Because we have been serving Balaam, false gods. So they're looking at their situation. They're comparing it to the prosperity of the Midianites who have camels and herds and flocks. And they're eating well, and they're healthy, and they have homes and clothes. And they look at their, their own condition. And some of us are homeless. We don't get to eat like we should because the harvest has been stolen. And where's our God? Why are we in this poverty? Why are we homeless? They're looking at maybe God's doing this instead of looking yet into their hearts first. They had these doubts and fears that were planted deep into them because there was sin in their hearts. Sin in them that brought terror and horror in their lives. Poverty, no future, no hope. Yet God loved them still. And God still loves his people. Even when we go off doing stuff like this. There was never a time when God did not love his people. But he had to turn them over into the hands of the enemy for chastening. And oh, how they were chastened. Yet they refused to acknowledge that their sin and rebellion was the cause of the terror and the poverty and the stress they were enduring. They would look at all this mess and never tie it to their rebellious hearts because of the enemy deceiving them. Now, America has been in a mess. We see this around the world. When the Twin Towers fell and the Pentagon was on fire, the hand of God was in that because God allowed the enemy to do it. And why? Because of his loving heart attempting to drive America back to himself to realize that our sins are separating us from him and his power and his presence. And we are at a crossroads in America. We think, well, we had an election and maybe we got ourselves back a little bit in in a direction that's positive. That's not enough, folks. Not about an election. It's about a change of heart 
in the hearts of the... It's we the people who need a change of heart because now we're seeing forest fires and droughts and mudslides. I think the total is up to 20 now lost their lives this past week and, and floods destroying communities and businesses. We watch hurricanes of proportion like we haven't seen in years and decades. And, and Jesus predicted all of this. And God's saying, when will you understand that your sins bring the enemy to the gates? Do you think God speaks in a tragedy? Do you think it's not coincidental that over in places in Europe and neighborhoods, entire neighborhoods are under Islamic influence, and the threat is we're going to take over? Places that have turned their faces away from the one true God when they once knew him and once served him. I believe many are hearing God's voice in America, and there is an awakening. Can you feel it? God's tapping us on the shoulder, and he's saying, I will increase the pressure and increase it unless, but if you return to me, I will restore my favor to you. We're living with anxiety, and we're hearing about more threats in every, every one of our states, all 50 of them, uh, of terrorism, uh, of attacks that are being planned, worse than some that we've already endured. And someone will say, well, then America will turn back to God. God grant it. Amen? Because if we refuse to return to God, he will withdraw his protecting hand and the enemy will bring us great harm. At any point, God could have prevented those from doing what they did on 9-11. He could have exposed them. He could have tripped them up. God didn't do that. God didn't create 9-11, but he didn't stop the perpetrators. He was attempting to speak in that environment allowing us to be exposed to an adversary. And God will not allow our boasting, nor will he allow our pride, our attitude that we don't need to be one nation under God. God knows we better be one nation under God or we'll have no blessing from him. I love America, but we need a complete awakening in America. And I was reading some of the comments of our founding fathers like Patrick Henry who said, It's when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. And they go on to say, Our fathers did once the principal drivers of the spiritual, intellectual, educational, economic, and vocational engines of the influence of America. Now we have abdicated our biblical responsibility to our culture. Secular government, school, secular government schools, faculty, administrators have seized public education, overthrowing traditional Christian morality. Wow, how true is that? And they went on to say, we cannot count upon this divine protection when we forsake the path of duty to our children. We've got to pass on these values that God's given us to the next generation. And, America, and they went on to say, Western culture that at first drifted, is now rushing headlong into apostasy from the triune God. America's founders practiced their faith well beyond the walls of the church. And they said this, emphasis on moral character was deliberate and integral component to sustaining freedom. A commonplace axiom of how they did life. And listen to some of the statements of our fathers. Spiritual warfare made the Puritans what they were. Today, Christians in the West are found to be, on the whole, passionless, passive, and one fears, prayerless. What's happening in American culture has nothing to do with either political party. It has to do with a matter of the heart. 
And what they're saying is simply this, that we need a return to the one God that helped us be great in our history. So what do we do? Here are the solutions. Prayer in America's churches must be reestablished, led by pastors. Spiritual men and women must run for local office, city council, parks and recreation, school boards, to bring biblical values back into the public square. And the good news, America is on the verge of resurrection if Gideons and Rahabs will simply stand once again. And I say amen to that. Amen? We need an awakening. But God expects more than just a cry of fear. That's what they were doing in Israel. They were just crying because they were oppressed. We need to turn from our idols and return to seeking his face because he will be first and he will be our only God. So God sends a prophet to the nation and he gives them a prophetic word and he says, I'm in this. I've allowed this so that you would return to my heart to bring repentance from you. And even though they cried out because they were in trouble, even though they had a prophetic word, God said, that's not sufficient. There's something else I require and demand of you. And many people will say they've repented and turned to God, and they see where we're heading in these final days. And Israel had responded like this in their day. And we're starting to hear now, thank God, from some of our preachers who have a big public arena. Uh, Billy Graham at 100 has just released a statement related to st- about the state of America and where he knows we need to turn to in order for us to have a change of direction. John Hagee has been speaking about it for many, many years. Choco in Chicago is preaching a very strong word to the people of his church and across America. Francis Chan has just been bemoaning. He said, I left my mega church because I'm ashamed that a church of that size would have such a minuscule concern to reach others who are lost in their own community. And he's got a strong word for the church in America. Thank God for these voices that are speaking up. But God says, there's a problem. It's called Balaam. There's an idol among us. And until we demolish the idols and the idol worship and the idolatry, all the crying is not going to have much of an impact because God requires that we tear down the idols, the idol that has the heart. And you build an altar upon which you honor and serve the one and only God. If there's true repentance, God will say, go after Balaam. Tear down the idols of Balaam. God said, take your father's young bull. Throw down the idol of Baal that your father has constructed. We need to stop the generational sins We need to look at what's going on in our families and say, not in our family, this is the line, this is where it's going to stop, cut down the groves nearby. Baal is very much an idol today. It's a spirit carved in various sizes, fashioned after people and animals of stone, wood, and metal. Couldn't speak and it couldn't talk. But you see, that's the kind of idol they wanted in Israel. And some people want that kind of an idol in our culture. They wanted the golden calf because it was something that couldn't speak as God would speak to them, but only what they wanted to hear. And they knew it was made out of their nose rings and ear rings and jewelry. 
They said, this is your God here. They wanted to dance naked around this idol. They wanted to be free from what they perceived to be legalistic bondage. So they wanted a God that could not see nor hear or care what they did. Couldn't look at their idolatry. Couldn't see their fornication. Couldn't see or hear their language. But you see, behind that idol, there is a voice. There is a spirit that animates it. And that devil has to have a visible idol, something that's tangible. So when you went to the groves where the idol was set up in Gideon's father's backyard, there were rows of trees and tents where the prostitutes did business, and they made a gala event out of this. It was colorful, impressive. It was seductive. They wanted to live any way they wanted to live. They wanted their desires more than they wanted the will of God and the favor of God. And God had an answer for them when they took that position. Go right ahead and worship your idols. Go ahead. Because he knows what was going to happen. And they were going to find out what was going to happen. And if you don't have the touch of God, then you will hear a voice, an inner voice, pulling you away from your confidence in Almighty God. And that happened throughout the nation of Israel. What is Balaam? You would think in this enlightened age that no one would bow down to something made out of stone or metal or wood. Yes, you know, but now what we have, we have Buddhism and we have Islam and we have Sikhs. There are multiple gods introduced of various religious persuasions into our culture. Many of them have statues or some type of a sign that indicates who they are. Some are serpents, creeping things, demon images, even gurus. But there are not only Eastern gods in our culture. There are Western gods of the Greco-Roman empires in our culture. Worship of the body, worship of sports, worship of the entertainment world, where believers are going headlong into the entertainment world and funding the support of those who put stuff on the screen that a decade or two ago we would not allow before our eyes or in our ears and say, this is not the kind of thing that pleases the Lord. And all designed to siphon us away from the one true God. Understand, there is a demonic spirit behind all of this. And these spirits are determined to destroy the confidence we have in the faithfulness of our God. The enemy will always show up, by the way, at a crisis time. Every time there's a child near death or seriously ill, every time there's a crisis, a storm, an evacuation, homes wiped away, businesses taken out, people stand in grief and they stand in pain. And the devil will send his emissaries at every accident, at every place of terror, in every hard place. He sends his voices. These principalities and powers are there to influence, to inject fear, to inject these thoughts. Where is your God now? Because people's hearts are filled with fear and they speak in a crisis. Well, my God died today. Where was God when the towers came down? Where he's always been waiting for us to call on him, waiting for us to turn toward him, waiting for us to make the 180. I've heard the interviews. How could a loving God allow these things to happen? How could it be every time you face a test, you lose a job, you've got a broken heart over a relationship that went south, someone is dying, the devil and his emissaries are waiting at the door and they move immediately and they say, where's your God? Why would God have allowed this? Some people get angry with God when they're in a crisis. Where's God in the middle of this? The spirit of Balaam is very active in our culture. And the one, same one, who was in the Garden of Eden 
on the lips of Satan even then that God is not truthful with you, that God is not faithful to you, that God is trying to hold something back from you. Calvary, you have to be alert when the enemy comes in with his first strike. He attempts to plant a seed in your heart. God's not hearing my prayer. I don't see evidence of God working. I fasted and prayed, and the devil knows, and he hears, and he's right there to start planting seed of unbelief and doubt in your heart about the faithfulness of God. You need to know your God. He is faithful, always faithful. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there now in a difficulty, a bankruptcy, a loss of home, living from payday to the next payday. And we live in perilous times. The devil will attempt to plant fear in the hearts of believers. His thoughts will attack you, doubt of God's love for you. Does God care about my plight? You have to be vigilant to deal with those thoughts immediately. Because if the devil comes in and plants that seed, he's building a base and he's building an altar for Balaam. And Satan will erect that altar as you allow him to speak those doubts and fears into your mind. And he'll move in very quickly causing you to doubt everything you've ever heard in God's Word. So that when you open the Word, you'll go, I don't believe that. When you look at the Word, you'll say, it's not worth me reading. Or or, or you don't pray regularly any longer because you feel like nothing seems to happen when you pray because simply there is a broken relationship with the Master. Something between you and Him. And He says to us, there has to be a love affair between your heart and my heart. You have to trust me implicitly. Jesus is speaking to the church, last day church at Laodicea, and he he touts all the great things they've done and their works. I've taken note of all the good stuff you do. He said, but I've got an issue, and this issue is a very serious one, that you have left your first love, that you don't passionately love me like you once did. So how do you get people to a mighty warrior's prayer meeting? How do you get people to the altar to pray every day like they did in the New Testament church where they went from house to house praying, breaking bread, sharing the truths of the master? If you really believed God answered you, you would be praying to him. You would talk to him. You would see God answering your prayers. But many don't believe because they've been so distracted by the idols they've allowed to creep into their hearts. They no longer have time to pray because these other things now have sucked the time out of my schedule. The spirit of doubt and unbelief left unchallenged will set up an altar. Unbelief is an altar. Unbelief is from the pits of hell. It's right out of the mouth of the devil. Unbelief and doubt spew from him. But out of the mouth of the Lord comes a sharp sword. It's a word of strength. Out of Satan's mouth comes a sharp demonic attack of idolatry. And unbelief is the worst type of idolatry known to man. When it says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, he's speaking about the core of their heart was unbelief. They did not believe him. They did not obey him. He's speaking about all their doubts and fears. And the Holy Spirit took Ezekiel on a spiritual journey in chapter 8 of that great book. And he's revealing to Ezekiel the prophet four great abominations going on in my house, the house of God. And he sees two of them. Then the Holy Spirit takes him to a wall with a hole in it. And he says, Ezekiel, dig through that hole. 
Ezekiel digs through the hole in his vision and he sees a door and the Holy Spirit says, go in and see the horrible abominations being committed behind this door. And he opens the door and he's overwhelmed with horror. There are 70 men plus a priest inside. And in the temple, they're so vile because in this secret room in the temple, on the, on the walls are portraits of creeping animals and four-headed beasts and snakes, every conceivable kind of a god and people standing there with censers in their hands offering prayers and homage to these gods. And they're standing there, these images on these walls, but they're not worshiping. The 71 are not worshiping the walls. They're worshiping the spirits behind the images. There was a spirit behind every single one of those images. And today people are saying the same thing that the 71 were saying. The Lord doesn't see us. The Lord doesn't see what we're doing. He doesn't care about what we're doing. And he's gone off somewhere. And we're going to serve gods that please us, that make us comfortable, that make us feel good. Here's a man who hears from the Lord in my passage. He's a young man. He's got a clear word from God. He's hiding because he's fearful. He's living under the bondage of this this devil God that his father's erected on the property. But here in this kid's heart is a desire to serve the living God. And he's standing in the field, and there's this image of Baal. And that image, though it cannot be heard audibly, could be heard in the spirit realm. And every time Gideon walks back and forth in front of that, it's speaking, God has forsaken you. God's not with you. It spoke every time he, he walks by. And the same time, every Israelite that passed by, it spoke the same thing to them. It could be seen. It was established on a mound of dirt. And, could be, and every time they saw it, they looked at their own poverty. They looked at their own loss of housing and their own plight. It was a reminder, God's not interested in you. Just live for yourself. Do what pleases you. And this thing was speaking loudly and clearly to the people of Israel. And God says to Gideon, go and get your father's young bull and pull down that idol and destroy the groves around it. Cut down all the trees and pull down that idol. Take those trees that are being used for idol worship and build a fire and consume it, every bit of it. And when you build an altar for me, put some of the remains of that wood on that altar and burn them too. And God says, pluck it out of your mind. And you think, well, he had his father's young bull to help him pull down that idol. I don't have anything like that. Yes, you do. You have the strongest bull known to man on earth, a strong young bull. You have the Holy Spirit who rules in your heart and life and can steer your life. God says, you take the Holy Spirit and deal with that idol. You pull down the thoughts of unbelief. You pull down the thoughts of fear and mistrust. You pull down the thoughts that you can doubt this God. Pull them down. Cast down, Paul said, every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every person you know who speaks doubt is of the spirit of Balaam. Pull down that relationship. Walk away. Tell them, I'm not interested. I'm not gossiping. I'm not complaining. I'm giving thanks to a God I can trust. I'm not here to let you speak fear and unbelief into my spirit. I'm going to trust the God that I've always relied on. He is trustworthy. And you pull away from that. Walk away from negativity. And if they start blowing up your phone with that stuff, block it. Say, I'm not interested in hearing that. And hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. 
to my heart today. He's speaking to this young boy, Gideon. He takes this kid filled with doubt and fear and unbelief, living in an oppressed culture under the rule of a father who's worshiping devils and making gain out of worshiping devils, who knows better. And what do I see in the middle of this? A God who comes to this young boy who's scared, who's, who's frightened for his life, and I see such mercy in the heart of my God. What a picture of grace. Here's a man who keeps testing God time and again because he doesn't know this God. He hasn't experienced him like he should. God, if you're really with me, would you stay with me and let me cook you a meal? And just kind of wait here and I want, I want you to eat this meal so I know it's really you and I'm not just dreaming this. And God said, go ahead. And Gideon fixes him some broth and the Lord says, take it and go put it on that rock. And Gideon puts the, the broth on the rock and the Lord puts his rod upon it and the whole thing goes up in flames, consumed. And Gideon goes, this must be God. God's with me. And then he gets close to the front lines where the battles are about to be engaged, where the enemy armies are coming against Israel, where the battle is about raging. And this really gets tough now. Lord, if you're really with me and you want me to lead us into battle against overwhelming odds, here's what I want you to do. And Gideon takes a, a hunk of wool and he puts it out overnight and he says, if you're really with me, then come morning, I want the ground all around to be absolutely dry, and I want that piece of wool in the middle to be soaking wet. And he wakens in the morning, goes out, and the ground is totally dry. There's not a drop of dew anywhere. And he picks up the fleece, and he wrings out the wool, and it's full of water. It's just absolutely saturated. Oh, God must be with me. And you see, people play this game with God all the time. God's reminding us of all the things that he's done in his word, how faithful he has been to us. But, oh, Lord, this is a big one. This is bigger than anything I've ever faced before. Let me explain this to you. There are no big crises with God. No matter how big they loom to us, none of them are big to him. God has done bigger things for you in the past, and nothing is impossible with him. Think of the mercy and the grace of God in the middle of this. Gideon goes back the next day and he says, Lord, this time, you know, wool has a tendency to kind of suck up moisture because of its nature. So this time, I want there to be dew all around the fleece, all over the ground, but I want that wool fleece to be absolutely dry. So Gideon gets up the next morning, he sloshes through the water on the ground, and he picks up a dry piece of wool fleece, and he goes, God must be with me. Amen? Think of the patience of God. Think of the mercy of God. There, there had to be something God saw in this young man. He's been communicating with God. God's got his attention, and he's really starting to get hungry, and he wants some answers, and he's now ready to build himself a relationship. He's not accusing God. He just wants an answer. I'm not here to condemn anyone who faces belief and doubt, unbelief and doubt in your life, but I have a truth God gave me for you. This is going to help you. We have a God of mercy. He, he took a fearful young boy, Gideon, and he used him, and he wants to do the very same for you. I, want, I have a word for you. I have a God who's patient with us. He wants to give us victory over our unbelief and our doubts. God will give you power and authority today to act in faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to pull down strongholds of doubt, fear, and unbelief because God has planned a great victory ahead for all of us. 
And God wants to defeat the enemies in your life. The Midianites. He wants you to overcome them and drive them out. Just like Gideon was able to do. You remember the story. An army he starts out with of 32,000 has now come down and been reduced to 300. And without having to fire a shot, if you'll just trust me, God says, it won't take much. Just faith. Just trust me. And I'm telling you, I can defeat this adversary. Now you've got 300 guys standing up on a ridge and they're looking down at thousands of soldiers that are trained and ready to go to battle. And you know they can charge up the side of this ridge and take us down in a matter of moments. And you're thinking in your natural, really? Okay? Faith. It's all God wants. Just faith. Confidence. Just the little you have, believe me, I'll give you an overwhelming victory. And you know the story. They crashed open those lanterns. They shouted for the Lord. They blew that trumpet. Listen, and they had a victory over thousands of soldiers that day without having to lift a finger to fire a shot. Hear this word. God's about to bring you into the most important victory you have ever had. He's about to reveal his strong arm to you. He's about to reveal that he is truly involved with every aspect of your life. But you've got to pull down every thought of unbelief, lay down every fear, pull down the spirit of Balaam. Listen, allow God's no entrance other than the one true God. And God will give you power of that young bull, power and authority. He's got a great word for the church. God sent you here to hear it. We need a new altar and we need to get up from that altar altered by the presence of the Lord. Amen. And the enemy that has plagued you with fear and doubt and unbelief, you rise up in the name of Jesus and say, no, my God is with me and he will be with me in everything I do. We serve a good God. And he's a mighty God. And he's faithful. Never breaks his word. You might look at something and you look at it and say, That's so overwhelming. So, what am I going to do? How in the world is that ever going to happen? Don't ask him how. He's not going to answer that question. The how is his. Don't ask him how. He's not going to tell you. He's just going to ask you to do specific things to test your obedience and your faith. He's not going to tell you how he's going to do it. But he's going to do it himself. Because his ways are beyond our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. They're exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so when he's got Joshua ready to go in and conquer the Canaan land, land of promise, 31 kings he's got to take down. He doesn't give him, this is the strategy for this, this is the strategy for He says, you just go do, in every case, what I tell you to do. And none of them, listen, I'll read it to you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous 
that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now watch. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you meditate in my truth day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage? Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's the how. My job as his servant is to just do what he asks. Obey him. So watch how this turned out. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Quiet meaning the adversaries stayed off their borders. Don't you know we need that in America again today? Where God gives us a divine hand of protection to watch out for us as we, the people, return to him and honor him as the one true God of our hearts and lives. Amen? I love that passage. The country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Thank God we can have that once again in our culture. We, we need our whole reformation in America. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet and give thanks to the one true God and bless him today.